Probably a great crowd. Welcome everybody that's here and everybody online. As you know, my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Uh, what a great opportunity to uh, give the message on Mother's Day. And uh, I know there's uh, many a brunch waiting, so I won't run over, I promise. <laughs> so as you know, we're running through a study on your identity in Christ. And it's so critical that you understand who you are in Christ. Uh, in a society that we have today where people really don't understand their value, who we are in Christ is everything. Um, and last week we looked at the, uh, we saw that we're fully known and fully loved by God. That fully known part's kind of scary until we know we're fully loved. So with everything about us, everything he did to create and everything we did to mess it up, he still loves us, and he has given us um, victory. And I can take great comfort in the fact that I'm fully known and fully loved. Um, and he loved us so much that he provided a path back to him even before there was a creation. We read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless in him. So today we're going to look at another benefit of being fully known and fully loved by God. But I want to give some backstory here before we um, get into that. So... I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I actually competed nationally in Latin oratory. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, so I went to parochial high school, and in parochial high school, you had to take four years of language. And the first two years were Latin, no choices, that was it. And then your next two years, you could pick. And being a nerd, I knew Latin by leave, so I took four years of Latin. And um, in my junior year, um, seven of us and my teacher and his son uh, drove from Phoenix, Arizona to Durham, New Hampshire to compete in a national Latin convention. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's really weird, right? So, and we were, I won't forget, we were in this Ford, uh, what was it, uh, Galaxy, no, oh, Country Squire station wagon. Those that can remember these things, they were monstrously long. This one was bright yellow with genuine vinyl wood-looking trim down the side. <laughs> we all know what we're talking about. Okay, good. So, so imagine now there's nine of us in this station wagon traveling across the country to compete in Latin um, in Durham, New Hampshire. We sold boxes of M&Ms to pay for the trip. Uh, thousands of dollars worth of boxes of M&Ms. And I always figured it was divine charity that so many people bought boxes of M&Ms from this bunch of nerdy kids trying to raise money to go to a Latin convention in New Hampshire. Um, I mean, who competes in Latin, right? We used to say when we were going through school, we used to say, you know, Latin is a dead, dead language, dead as dead can be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. <laughs> so, but anyway, 
So I competed in Roman mythology, swimming, and Roman oratory. So what is Roman oratory? Well, back in the time, they would get together and they would argue with this great pontification and logic and you know all this stuff. It was very different than the world we had today. It was very formal. Um, and so it gets weirder. Um, so in a nod to this Roman style, um, I played two separate characters. Um, half of my body was one way, and the other half of my body was a different way, so that I looked different based on which side I was faced. And um, I would argue with myself and turn sideways as I changed characters. Yeah, I, I told you this was weird. Um, but effectively, I stood there and argued in Latin for 15 minutes with myself. So, yeah, I know, weird. Um, in case you wonder, the major benefit of four years of Latin was I smoked the college entrance exams when it comes to English because 70% of our language is English, and I knew all my Latin roots and stuff like that, so my vocabulary score was an 800. Uh, I smoked it, and so uh, that was a benefit. Uh, don't ask me to speak Latin now. Like many things that have gone out of the locally stored memory, Latin did, although I still know my roots. You know, so I used to be able to conjugate all these verbs, and I can't remember. So, Anyway, so you're wondering what that has to do with today's message. Um, so when I read through the verses that we're going to cover today, uh, I find a two-sided argument. One from the perspective of death, and one from the perspective of a believer. So that's the way I'm going to present it. Hopefully it will go well. Um, it's been a long time since I've tried this, but uh, when I was in high school, I loved theater. I used to be, I know you're looking and go, sure you did. The, uh, but I was, I was heavily involved in theater, and, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And so um, that's kind of where we're going to go with. So, all right, so let's set up some context. So we're in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to believers in Corinth um, to emphasize the truth about Christ's resurrections, right? Resurrection. So he pointed out the significance of the resurrection, and he takes to task certain believers who are claiming there is no resurrection. Right? And so he points out that if Christ was not re resurrected, then their faith is in vain because they're still dead in their sins. So we pick up 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised, and your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If you have hope in Christ, only in this life, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But the fact is that Christ was raised from the dead, and therefore our faith is not in vain. As believers, we look forward to the day of our resurrection. Paul then goes on to explain the process involved in exchanging these earthly bodies for immortal ones. Immortal heavenly bodies that we will carry eternally. I thought there are no emergency rooms in heaven. <laughs> All right, so we become new, immortal, imperishable. Let's pick up the story at verse 51. It says, Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then we will come about the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Does anyone here think they're immortal? Well, you're not immortal now, but you will be. Your body must die in order to be clothed in the immortal one. Does anyone think they never will die? Well, you'll die the earthly death, but then you'll be raised up eternal and live forever. For death leads to eternal life. For believers, eternal life in heaven. For non-believers, eternal torment in a place further south. So why do so many people fear death? Clearly it's not the inevitability of it. Death will happen. Possibly the unpredictability about it, not knowing when it's going to happen or what its cause will be. Or possibly concerns over what happens next. For a non-believer doesn't know what will happen next. But as believers, we know what happens next. We are victorious. We are victorious in Christ. Amen? Now, as we read 1 Corinthians, verse 55, I want to set the stage. So we have here now two debaters that are going to argue this question, death on one side and the believer on the other. And a two-part question is asked, and two possible answers are given. So 1 Corinthians verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 said, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death speaks first. (laughs) Let's see if this works. Death speaks first, the fleshless rider upon a pale horse. Where is my victory? Foolish man, where is not my victory? Since the beginning of mankind, I have filled the soul with rotting remnants of man, woman, and child all over the earth. I have driven ships like leaves upon sunken rocks or upon ice-bound shores, leaving thousands, nay, tens of thousands below the dark waters. Where is my victory? On a thousand battlefields, man has fought man with sword and axe, gun and cannon, missiles and bombs, only to leave a plain, a lake of blood rotting corpses for the carrion feeder to feast upon. Where is my victory? There is not a space of ground or an age of man which has not experienced my victory. It does not matter who you are, strong, unhealthy, or weak, or infirm. You can be men of great intellect or mortally challenged. Man or woman, young or old, rich or poor, of any race, I have taken them all. You can do anything you want, you can be anything you want to be, and I will still win. For the world will only know you by the little white stone that leaves your name on the world. And where's my sting? Don't you know that everything you have you must leave behind? 
You cannot take your houses with you. Your lands you must leave behind. Bright and shiny may your possessions be, but you will find no trailers behind a hearse. Your exquisite parties and beautiful banquets you will never see again. Wine and song will be forever gone. You will leave behind your families and friendships. The trip you are on is a solo one. Where is my sting? Your eyes will never again see rainbows or snowy mountaintops. You will never again see your shiny cities with their neon lights, bustling crowds, your theater, your sports, your endless amusement. Your ears will never again hear the music of laughter, for you will ever be sealed in eternal tomb of darkness. You will no longer witness the covenant of marriage bind a young couple, nor see the birth of a child. You will no longer celebrate holy days in the house of God, no more communion, no more body and blood of Christ. Where is my sting? Ask the widow whose loved one has departed and left her to mourn. Ask the orphan who now cries over the coffin of the one that used to take care of him. Ask the fathers has been a cold metal and a grateful nation to carry it in the darkness of the night. The state has felt it well as well. The mighty have been laid low. With my sting, I have taken the rich, the mighty, the beautiful, the lovely, the learned, the pious, the good, the benevolent. I have taken them all. The believer speaks next. Death, you have no victory. You have no sting. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 reads, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death to believers, you are but a stingless locust. For Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and become our friend. Once death was the penalty of sin, but now sin is forgiven. Now that sin is forgiven, the penalty ceases, and Christians do not die punished for their sin, for they die to be prepared to live. We may be stripped of our earthly clothes, but only to be arraigned in the eternal garments of heaven. We may be buried in earthly tombs, but only to shed this mortal skin so we can take on eternal bodies. And what is this gloom and horror you speak of? We believe in nothing that you say, for Christ is with us. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for our Lord is with us. Death, you have lost your sling. You claim that we have lost our sight, but while we may lose sights of a dying world, we gain the sights of heaven. We see azure sky, lakes of crystal, and fields, lasting eternal, in the land of light and glory. When the cities of the world are compared to the new Jerusalem, the golden city with its pearly gates, jasper walls, and streets paved of gems and gold. I lose by losing earth? No, I gain by gaining heaven. You say my ears are closed? Not so. 
I don't hear the music of cherubim. I don't hear the music of countless voices singing of the holiness of the Lord. And as for friends, I may leave a few behind. But I have many more where I am going, for many have passed the great divide. And Christ, the great leader, leads us all. He alone is better than a million friends. Death, for all you take away, take it and thank you. For the joy will be revealed in us as the exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This far surpasses the light affliction of losing all that earth can give. Death, you tell us that your sting has taken away as to the friends we have lost. The weeping widow tells you that she does not fear your sting, for her husband is in heaven, and she is following him as speedily as time will carry her. The mother tells you, Death, that through divine grace, you have no sting in her thoughts concerning her children. She rejoices knowing that she brought forth immortal spirits, temporary clothes, immortal bodies that someday will be, look into the face of Jesus. And we will be safely home where no gale force wing or rogue wave can ever rock our keels again. Death, you have no sting and no victory. The grave in which we sleep is temporary. Our mortal bodies will soon be shed and we'll be raised within mortal ones to join the spirits in the new Jerusalem. Christ has made the tomb but a resting place for warriors. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, my flesh and blood have sinned, so let them die. Christ has vanquished death by dying and rising to return to his holy place. Death you have no sting. You have no victory. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, we are victorious in Jesus. We have nothing to fear in death. Indeed, death will release us from this fallen world and we'll be united with the Father and the Son to live eternally in heaven. We will shed these mortal bodies for immortal ones without defect. So live like you believe it. Brothers and sisters, to you this word of admonition is given. Be steadfast in our faith. Inasmuch as you shall die but forever live, and inasmuch as you will be heirs of immortality and life, Christ bids you to be steadfast. Be steadfast in the truth of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reads, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what does it mean to be firm, immovable, steadfast? Temptations surround us on every side, but through Christ we will always have a way out if we seek it. We think of David's prayer in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Be steadfast with the truth even unto persecution. Fortunately, in the United States, we have not seen the type of violent persecutions that have been against Christians around the world. 
But we're already seeing restrictions on freedom of speech for those that hold up to the values of God. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10 says, Therefore I delight in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Be steadfast in affliction. Life in these mortal bodies is short, but not without suffering. Some of us know this more than others. But we take hope in the immortal ones we will soon possess. And we take joy by knowing the Lord is with us through it all. Psalm 34:19 says, The afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord rescues him from them all. And be steadfast in sharing the hope you have in Jesus. We know it is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 reads, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We live in a world that desperately needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that needs to know that they're fully known and fully loved. And we live in a world that needs to know that as believers, we have victory in Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. As we look past this mortal life into eternal life with you, everything is a shade of gray here. In but the short years we live, we hang on to you and to your promise, to your faithfulness, to all that you do for us. We pray for strength and wisdom, perseverance. And we're grateful, Lord, because we have victory in you.